This is the True North Collective podcast, a gathering of unsugarcoated conversations on wellness, created by the real-life documentation of everyday humans fearlessly finding their true north. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 13. Hi, I'm Janelle. I'm a dog mom, a key lime pie lover, and a green tea drinker. Hi, I'm Rachel. I was the head cake maker at Ben & Jerry's for four years in high school. I used to dominate the arm hang, and I'm an oldest child. Hey, I'm Tiffany. I won't go to bed without taking a shower. I also am that person that needs a Starbucks mug for every cool place that I travel. And I spelled my name T-I-F-F-A-N-Y until I was 16 and realized it was wrong on my birth certificate and my social security card. So we're rocking on a solid 15 years. And we are your host of the True North Collective podcast. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> oh my God, I love it. I have so much to say about <laughs> Okay, wait, your mom never corrected you or your dad? It was wild. I didn't even know until I literally went to go get my driver's license. I filled out all my paperwork. And they were like, "Uh, sweetheart, your social security card and your birth certificate, spell it T-I-F-F-E-N-Y. And there we go. But no, so no one corrected you then? They just let you do it? They just taught me how to spell my name wrong. (laughs) Fifteen years later, Tiffany spells it T-I-F-F-E-N-Y. Oh <laughs> or was it spelled wrong on the birth certificate? And... You know, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just rolled with that. I was like, wow, this is kind of fancy. Oh my God, we've been talking about changing our names lately, so that's really funny. <laughs> oh my gosh, I want to change my name to Lottie. I mean, not officially. I just want people to call me it because I feel like it has like a, people are like, oh, there's a mystery behind that. But then I'd be Lottie Bilotti. Lottie Bilotti. <laughs> I like it. I still kind of like it too. <laughs> Lottie Bilotti. I love it. Um, I definitely know people who collect all the Starbucks mugs. That's a thing. Oh, it's a hard thing. That's so I'm weird. Like, How did that become a thing? I just love coffee. And <laughs> so I'm just like, all right. Like, I won't, I don't like going to Starbucks in other countries. I just literally need to collect the mug so I can look at all the cool places on the mug and be like, oh, I went there. Like, oh, man, I didn't go there. I have to go back. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. It just gives me a reason to have an over size suitcase to be honest (laughs) so how many mugs do you own then because and where do you keep them all is also a very important question so i have mugs in like people's cars in different (laughs) states where i'm like hey can you hold this box for me (laughs) um there's definitely a large amount of coffee mugs in my storage unit in azusa california where i lived before i moved to texas i have mugs in texas uh i have I have one mug with me here um, in Canada, and for the most part, I just ship them to my sister's house where I'm like, hey, <laughs> I need you to keep all of my stuff because there's no room in my storage unit, and I haven't opened the door in three years. So here we are. Oh, dang. That's oh going to be fun when you so finally do. <laughs> yeah. It kind of is. I'm like, dang it. Why am I spending all this money on coffee mugs that I can't even use? But it's all <laughs> ammo for getting a house one day yeah. <laughs> so I can put all these mugs in a cabinet. How many yeah. do you think you have then? 
Do you have any idea? Um, I probably have, let's see, 3, 6, 9, 12, 24. I probably have close to, like, I would say 30, between 30 and 40 coffee mugs. Holy crap. Yeah. Yeah, that's a collection. Yeah, I would say probably 12 of them, maybe 14, are, like, specific Starbucks cups. (laughs) <laughs> are they city specific um it depends if the city one looks cooler then like i'll vibe with the city one but like if the country one looks cooler like i'm totally getting the country one um and sometimes i end up with like two because like you go to like a little random like hole in the wall stores like in the street markets yeah. and those cups are way cooler than the starbucks one so i'm just yeah. like, this is half the price but i'm basic and i've already committed to this process of (laughs) so here we are we end up with two (laughs) that's awesome we have we're gonna have a girl that we're interviewing in um december she's on our ragnar team and she collects all the starbucks ones too courtney janelle i actually didn't know that yeah yeah she's like obsessed we'll have to compare i know know. we're gonna gonna my podcast guest owns more starbucks mugs (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we should have tea times. You could yeah. come be our, you could be our writing our coach. Oh. Yes. <laughs> Janelle, so Janelle, remember when I was showing all you guys how like uh-huh. the strength? Uh-huh. It was uh-huh. t- Tiffany's the one who was who showed me that. Yes. Yes. So you're yes. our unofficial coach. <laughs> yes. Can I just come be your like your guys' cheer group too? Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. Can also up the mountain. <laughs> Co- coach me to greatness. <laughs> I can, you know. I've had some practice, so you know we're gonna we're <laughs> yeah. definitely gonna roll with that. I, I got you in that area. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Janelle, how have you been? Oh, I've been good. I'm uh, I'm good. <laughs> oh, it's early. I definitely did not go to bed at a reasonable time last night oh, for this, but I didn't either. either. I definitely didn't. Yeah. <laughs> So I think I've decided I didn't want to do, like, I don't want to drink any caffeine during the podcast, which oh. is what I normally do, because uh, I think I want to go to bed afterwards. Uh, got it. <laughs> so please forgive no. me. <laughs> I couldn't do it. I thought about it. I woke up this morning and I was like, yeah, I'm not going to have coffee. I was like, if they want to listen to silence, then sure I'm not. I know. I'm going to see. Uh, y'all let me know if I if I just feel too quiet or quite the normal Rachel. I'll... I'll yeah. on some Celsius, but... But did you... But, okay, I didn't know you drank green tea. I do. Or maybe That's... I did, actually. Well, I used to only drink green tea. That used to be my only form of caffeine. And That's then, my only Yeah, and then I started drinking... Honestly, I, like, I drank Celsius at the studio when we were in Milwaukee, yeah. but not that often. I would only do it if I was really tired. And now I just drink it every day. But I didn't green tea in the afternoon still because the caffeine wears out how funny is it that in the corporate world you drink more celsius than when you used to get up super early and work at a fitness studio <laughs> it is weird <laughs> i kind of like it i kind of just like it now though too because it's all sweet and it technically doesn't have any sugar in it but it does has it make you burp fake sugar uh, no not really you're it's not like a burper. A, no, I'm not really a burper. I'm a farter. But oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just like a, it's a tasty treat. <laughs> it's a tasty treat. 
Oh my god. I think I'm just gonna be really giggly this morning. I think that's, that's okay. <laughs> Tired. It's okay. I'm taking the uh, typhoid vaccine right now, mm-hmm. and it's mm. like you have to take it for seven days every other day. So there's four pills, um, and I just I took the third one yesterday. But it just makes me I feel like I'm drugged out. Like I don't feel sick. I just feel totally drugged yes. out. It's and so I have my last one tomorrow. I cannot I say wait. It's not getting better. It's not that it's like I. It's not bad. I'm just really out of it. Hmm. I would like have thought maybe like as you went further along, because I know the first day you felt really bad, that it would have got a little easier, but no. I I thought so too, but I also realized yesterday Dylan and I were driving around because, did I tell you we're going to Egypt? That I'm oh, going yeah, to- yeah, yeah, you did. Yeah. So yesterday we did consumerism day for Egypt. So we like went and got all of our things and normally I am the one who has to drive through the city because I like I'm constantly driving in the traffic and all this stuff and he hates it. But I was so like out of it yesterday. I was like, I can't, I just can't do it. And he was like, I feel fine. Um, but he's also like too, I mean, he's way bigger than me. And I was and I was like, you know, they didn't adjust the dosages for our size. Like I literally am taking the same amount that you are, and that's kind of crazy. <laughs> Like, he's much bigger than me. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. Uh, it's kind of weird. Anyway, so, no, it, it it is not gotten any different. But I will not have to worry about typhoid for five years. That's so important. I'm, I'm going to try to go to all the places where... You really I, should. I know. D- Dylan was like, okay, South America, where else? Where else do we need to go where we can use this to our advantage? <laughs> that's true. I should... That's okay. Good idea. I also, I've taken the typhoid pill when I studied abroad in Peru, but I don't remember. I don't know. I don't remember. I think it's different now. They said that this, they said this one was new. So I could take, we could get a shot and have the typhoid for two years. I think I got a shot. Yeah. And now it's like new that it comes in pill form and then you're free for five years. Yeah. Cause we did malaria pills. That's what the pill was. And then the typhoid shot. I did not have to do malaria or yellow fever. So I really got out pretty lucky. Anyways, I can't wait for the outfits that I'm going to be wearing because they are like the dry or um, they're like the fisherman shirts, you know? Oh, my gosh. Oh, I'm rocking it hard. (laughs) The ones with the flaps in the back. (laughs) Yep. Uh. But the girls ones suck because they're all like purple plaid and I'm like come on give me like the dude colors so I found one that's like puke colored and I was like that's what I'm talking about that's what I want yes <laughs> puke color give me the puke colored shirts I think it's like in the desert I was gonna say isn't that like the camo tan or whatever not the... yes don't <laughs> give me like teal and pretty pink like no <laughs> are <laughs> these like png you. or pf NG or what is that brand? No, I got the Columbia ones were the cheapest. Oh, uh, PFG, that's what it is. Professional fishing. Something. No, I did not do that. <laughs> <laughs> I, went so much right now. <laughs> I went to REI. I went to REI and they had their REI brand actually had the best colors. Mm-hmm. Um, Columbia really swung the pendulum on the binary gender scale. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found. <laughs> Let's add I them. love that I I love that I actually can say that phrase and know what I'm talking about now. Um, 
but I did find one from them that worked because there's the, the Columbia ones were a little bit cheaper. Um, anyways, that's my wardrobe. I am very excited about it. I'll send you guys pictures. Rock girl. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Should we introduce Tiffany? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so Tiffany and I met, I don't know, like a year ago, I think. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, she's a Lululemon ambassador at a Lululemon store that I am the life coach for. And I walk in with my beanie on or my toque and this awesome woman is like, who are you? I need to know you. Blah, blah, blah. And it's just this <laughs> spitball energy. And I was like, oh my God, this girl is amazing. And um, yeah, ever since then, I think we just like clicked immediately and we have like monthly chats where we just like pump each other up basically <laughs> and it's amazing um so tiffany parker she is a u.s heptathlete a usa bobsled athlete a nutrition and health consultant corporate and executive leadership and development coach a speed coach for some of the top crossfit athletes a lululemon ambassador like i said and she has some really really big plans coming up uh, for how she wants to build global communities that bridge gaps of opportunity for all people, really. Um, and it is an absolute pleasure to have you, my friend, on our podcast. So welcome. Welcome. Oh, thanks. Hey. A pretty impressive <laughs> bio. I know, right? <laughs> I'm like, damn, what am I doing with my life? Get a girl. Drinking green tea and Celsius. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> You're doing it, Janelle's. Shut up. Uh, I'm just kidding. But that is an impressive, um, impressive intro. I know. And yet, the mo- you're like the most down-to-earth person ever. Like, I never feel like I'm like, oh, my God, I'm talking to a U.S. athlete. <laughs> uh, which just, I think is also enough. impressive. It's just so funny because I have that conversation with so many people of, like, I really think, like, growing up, I thought that everything that I did was, like, normal. Like, I thought it was just normal to just like, oh, I need to work a full-time job and be a full-time athlete and then also be a full-time student and like, you know, try to get good grades in college and graduate with honors. Like, I didn't know anything. I didn't know that that wasn't normal. I didn't know that like, oh, like anyone can't just become an athlete if they want to be like a U.S. athlete. Like, it's just crazy to me when people say that or like when I'm introduced um, how I'm introduced because I'm just like Tiffany, like. I could talk to a doorknob and kind of just like have a conversation with like a rando at, in a coffee shop at a table. Um, so it's really interesting, the uh, different dynamics and what I hear when people say that about me. <laughs> Where do you think that stemmed from? Um, I really think it was just like m- my desire to just achieve things in general. Um, didn't matter if I was an athlete or you know, I, I wanted to try to graduate college before I was 21 with a master's degree. Um, I think I always, like, I'm such a gold star chaser that, I don't know, it just kind of became my norm. Like, I, I, I guess it's humble to a fault, but yeah, I don't know. I think it was just something that I always just wanted to be the best version of myself. And that's what I see. I, I just see like myself in it. I don't see like, the celebrity status that people put behind it, um, which is interesting. I don't know. <laughs> it is. It's interesting to me because, well, it's interesting for many reasons. But personally, I also was like 
when I was sick, I had a full, (laughs) this is crazy. I was in like all the highest classes that you could be in, um, like the AP honors, everything. I had a full-time job and I was on the varsity dance team and I danced. Like I did, I didn't stop. And that's wild to me. But I also didn't, I think I came from a, a household that really had like high, I wouldn't say standards necessarily, but they had like, they really believed that I could do a, so much with my life. Um, I probably just took it to an extreme and I lost myself in it a little bit, but it's cool. I've met a few other people who are, were self-driven like that. Like, I don't know why I came from, like, there's a girl that I work with, um, now who came from like really inner city, like her dad's in jail. She had a really rough upbringing, but she basically one day was like, I'm going to make something of myself. And it was all self-driven. And she like graduated top in her class and like all this stuff that she's like, I shouldn't have been able to do that. And I shouldn't be able to be where I am, but I have this inner drive to do that. And I was like, wow, I wonder if I have, I mean, I have a little bit of that in me. I must to have like not said no at any point, but I do think it was, there was a lot of externally imposed like pressure Mm -hmm. and that changed it a little bit for me um, ultimately, if that makes any sense. Totally. Yeah. No. Intrinsic I'm... versus extrinsic yeah. motivation. And yeah, where do you, where do you get more of your motivation from? Depends. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it depends I on what it is sh- too, but. <laughs> yeah. And I for sure have intrinsic motivation. I mean, Everyone I am does. very, very driven. Yeah. Um, but I definitely, I don't know. It's interesting. I love hearing that about you. I think it's really cool. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I definitely do think a lot of it stems from my childhood. Um, you know, by no means did I, I grow, I grew, by no means did I grow up like the richest person on the face of the planet or the poorest person on the face of the planet. Um, but there were some things that I would kind of tell myself, like, you know, I I never want to be in a situation where like I lose my house. Like I never want to be in a situation where like, I don't communicate with my husband or like, I can't watch my kid. I can't watch my kids like sports games because I'm working three jobs. Like there's just some things that happened in my life where I kind of use that as motivation to like, never be that way. Um, and so that could be like the deep rooted meaning behind my, I guess, want to succeed. Um, I used to tell myself like I didn't end up on the bad side of like the things that my parents had to go through. And like, I, if I have kids or whatever, that looks like way, 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 way in the future. Um, I just want to make sure that, you know, they had the opportunities that I didn't have. And, um, you know, I will say it's, it's a pretty special thing to have accomplished what I've accomplished with the things that kind of just happened in my life and how they happened. Um, so yeah, it's definitely a blessing and it's just crazy. It's crazy to think about, like I was that little girl that would run from one end of the block all the way home before the streetlights came on. Cause I knew my mom was going to yell at me and I like literally used to run chasing these streetlights and they would like, you know, I hear the little electrical currents and it sounds yeah. like a freaking bazillion forms of bees coming to end your life. Like <laughs> that was like, my, <laughs> I had like a legit, probably, I don't know, 600 meters to like get home. So I, I'm pretty sure that's what coined my track career. Like I literally would, 
I would race these streetlights home. And my I lived in a cul-de-sac, and my mom would like literally stand in the middle of the street and just like watch me run home. And I would just yeah, my ass would just be lit up if I was not home before the streetlight came on in front of my house. That is so. We're here. Oh my god! So shout out. Shout out to my mom for being a strict parent. <laughs> Seriously, my mom has a whistle. And so we lived on a cul-de-sac oh, too. And it would just be like, <laughs> and then my yep. brother and I would be like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I love that. So where did you grow up then? California? Yeah. So born and raised Southern California. Um, lived in Los Angeles until I was eight. Uh, that's where I was born, and then my parents were like, "Negative, Ghost Rider. Uh, we're not <laughs> about this life, especially in '88 when like things were really bad." Um, so we, we as in they, packed me up and we moved to uh, Riverside, California, which is like down south, going towards San Diego. Um, then I later, basically, I was like on the border of Riverside, Moreno Valley. Um, grew up in the Inland Empire, and so uh, yeah, that's where I spent most of my life uh, in Moreno Valley and it was such an interesting time in life. Um, I didn't realize the kind of the importance of like having such like a culturally diverse group of friends, like growing up, like I didn't really see like color. Like I had friends that were Mexican and I had friends that were Asian and like, it was just crazy. Like I didn't realize that until I was like in my twenties, like everyone didn't grow up that way. Uh, yeah. Cause I had known nothing different. So it was, I was very fortunate to have the childhood friends and, and just um, that diversity at a very young age. Um, yeah. And like, I don't know, my, my parents and my family, everyone loved everyone. So it wasn't, I don't know. It was just, I think it, it really helped me later on in my life where I ended up going to like, a private Christian school and I definitely was less than 5% and like how you kind of navigate, um, and handle that when you've never experienced it before. So yeah, like, yeah. What made you go to a private Christian school? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Right. I tell people it's literally a joke. So my, um, like my mom had the biggest faith of any human I've known on the face of the planet. And um, like we went to church as in like, she dressed me up on Sundays and I had to like recite Easter Bible verses and all that jazz. And um, I never kind of like had a faith of my own. And so I panned to like high school, um, like I said before, just had like a lot of hard bumps in life that just happened. like. Um, I actually didn't live with my parents my sophomore year until I, I went to college. Um, they moved to Las Vegas, Nevada, and I stayed in Moreno Valley because I was already having schools look at me for a track scholarship. And, you know, my, my high school coach told me something that kind of just stuck with me. And he sat me down one day after practice and he was just like, you know, the one thing no one can ever take from you is your education. So regardless of how life pans out, like make sure you go to college and graduate. Um, and I don't know, it just always was in the back of my mind. And so I didn't really want to leave. And, um, 
ended up going to New Mexico my freshman year for college and the University of New Mexico and living in Albuquerque and everything being Adobe brick red was definitely an experience in my life <laughs> that I never want to go back to. Um, but it, it really showed me a lot. Like I wasn't a wild party person. Um, it was a huge school, like North, South, East and West campus. And I mean, I graduated with 800 people in my class. So like, I was kind of used to a lot of people, but that was just like neck yeah, level. Like you take a bus to yeah. get to like the other side of campus. So it started out there. And then all of the coaches resigned the year that they, I went there and signed and competed. So I was like, well, I'm not staying here. Like I only came here because of the coaches, like my high school coach um, and the girls that I had on my team, like that was my family because you know, my, the way that my life kind of panned out, um, I didn't really actually have most of my family. Like I had my sisters, they both still lived um, in Moreno Valley, but for the most part, like I, I didn't have my parents, my best friend's parents kind of, um, really became my, my parents right there and my track coaches. And so, um, yeah, I was like, sorry, bye New Mexico. And my cousin played basketball for Pepperdine and she was like, well, I'm going to transfer to this Azusa Pacific school. And I was kind of like, <laughs> well, we're going to say snobby for better words. And I was like, what division are they? And she was like, division. I'm like, well, yeah, we're both leaving Division One schools. Like, we better go to another Division One college. Like, we're legit athletes. And I humbled myself I love real you. quick. <laughs> yeah, I had to humble myself real quick. And she was like, "It's it's NAIA." And I was like, "What in the hell is NAIA?" And she's like, "Well, it's a small private Christian school, and the track program's really awesome, and the basketball program's great. So, like, we can just go there and be roommates." I was like, okay, so I'll go look at this. And meanwhile, I was secretly looking at San Francisco State still. So I went, I called the coach from San Francisco State. She convinced me um, to kind of just like talk to San Francisco, talk to Azusa, and talk to San Francisco coach. I was like, oh, yeah, I'll probably for sure be coming there. I've got to iron some things out. Um, went on my recruiting trip to Azusa Pacific. And I had Brian Clay there, who was a silver and gold medalist. Um, and his coaches were there for the decathlon. I had no idea who he was. I didn't know what the decathlon was. I didn't know that I was a heptathlete. I didn't know any of this. I just walked up, and there was this random guy, Kevin Reed, and Mike Barnett, and this Olympian person I had no clue was as good as he was. And I'm, like, walking across the football field. And I'm like, hey, I'm Tiffany. And they're like, hey. And Barnett, our head women's coach, was like, hey, this is Coach Kevin. Like, he's going to be your heptathlon multi-coach. And that's Brian Clay over there getting ready for the games. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like, this is awesome. All right, this is where we are. And it was, like, so underwhelming because I went from, like, a football stadium of, like, 65,000 people to, like, iron benches. <laughs> of yeah. Yeah. So that was definitely an interesting dynamic. Um, but we'll say three weeks later, I was like trying to figure out like the whole scholarship thing. And like, there's no way that I could pay for school. And so I was like, well, yeah, if I don't get a scholarship, like I'm not going anywhere. And just kind of waited for paperwork and things to come in. So I was talking to the San Francisco coach, literally in the garage of my house. And I was like, Hey, coach Burke, like, made my decision. I think I'm going to phone beeps on the other side. And I'm like, Hey, give me one second. 
So I click over and it's Mike Barnett who like literally ghosted me for three weeks and like didn't respond to my emails about <laughs> it was Isa. And he's like, Hey Tiff, like, I just wanted to let you know, we finalized everything and we would really love to have you at Azusa. And I don't know why my gut instinct was like, just say yes. And so I was like, okay, sure. And so I clicked over the other line and I told the San Francisco coach that my dad told me that I couldn't go to San Francisco. (laughs) (laughs) And I ended up at Azusa and that is literally how my life was determined. That's so (laughs) funny though. There's like little decisions though that, I mean, probably made a huge impact on your life. Absolutely. Like I later on when coached by both like Barnett and Kevin and Brian Clay, who ended up being a mentor of mine. So it was like crazy. It was crazy. Like my life would not be where it's at if I if I didn't make that decision. Wow. These groups, I'm assuming they're not that big, right? These Olympian groups, like you kind of know everyone in the community. They're pretty big. Are they? I was, okay. Like super fortunate. Like Azusa is a is a hub for just like elite athletes and Olympians, especially mm-hmm. for track and field. Um, it just it's it has a dynasty that I didn't even know about when I went there. Um, and so like when I graduated from my undergrad and I stayed there to continue training through 2016. So we went. I went 2011 until 2016 at Azusa as like an assistant coach and kind of just like hangout person to be honest my coaches were still there and I was like oh I'll train with Brian but I had like a two-time Olympian um for the U.S. in the decathlon I trained with the Canadian Olympian I trained with the Haitian Olympian hurdler in our group there was a like four-time NCAA decathlon champion that trained with us like our my training group had so much elite status that it, it was overwhelming on days where I was like I don't how am I here like I'm the least qualified to be here but it was so awesome um and it was one thing that that Brian told me that I won't ever forget and and what I take with me even in the bobsled it's like you know having a training group and having a training partner and having a coach you really have to make sure that they're people that really truly know who you are because you're gonna there's gonna be days where you walk out to a track and you're not going to believe in yourself. And your training partner is going to be that person that believes in you when you don't. Um, your coach is going to be that person that believes in you when you don't. And you're going to need that. And like now that I'm older and I look back at it, I see why those people were, were a part of that group. And it, it is something that I'm very, very, very fortunate to have been a part of. It's really cool. By chance, do you know a Sharon Day? I love Sharon. Yes, I do. <laughs> I was like, that's actually, that was a leading question. Uh, so I used to work with Sharon uh, at my job here, and I've I've never uh, known any Olympians, but now apparently I know two in the same circle because she is, uh, yeah, same same event, right? Yeah, so Sharon actually is an Olympian, the heptathlon. Mm-hmm. Uh, my goal is to make the 2022 team as a bobsled athlete, but competed in the Olympic trials in 2016. Um, there's just a lot of political stuff that happened. And, um, yeah, so we, we had to take a little break from track, but then I ended up going back a couple months later, but yeah, Sharon is a phenomenal athlete and an amazing human. Yeah, um, she is. yeah it's just the, the heptathlon decathlon group is, it's like a little family. And so you, you, you see each other all the time. We're like the black sheeps of track and field. Like no one really <laughs> pays attention to us. 
they know that it's this wild event where people do seven to ten events and we get no media coverage and (laughs) if you're sponsored you are touched by god himself because it never happens um so it's it's pretty it's a pretty small tight-knit group um it's really cool to see like a lot of the girls are like getting engaged and sharon's having a baby yeah i was gonna say it's just almost due yeah i know it's just so cool to see that like group of people that you grew up around um so yeah that's really cool sharon's awesome yeah it's funny what a small i know i'm like like, (laughs) i bet you we know someone (laughs) same people that's very cool uh how did you get into bobsled then um (laughs) another random decision in my life so i actually got into bobsled because i made uh the pan-american u.s team and competed in canada so they'll take three u.s heptathletes three decathletes and one of the the decathletes that was on my team uh, went to brown his name is evan weinstock and he ended up like just became friends through track and field he ended up going to bobsled and trying it out in 2016. And so that was the year of the Olympic trials. And I just remember talking to Evan um, at the Olympic trials. He was like, hey, Tiff, like this is going to be my last go around. And I'm going to commit to bobsled full time. And I was just like, what? Like, that's crazy. Absolutely not. And I was like, bobsled? He was like, yeah, you should really try it. I was like, definitely not. First off, I'm from Southern California. Second of all, I hate being cold. Third of all, no. And he was like, it's speed, it's speed, it's power. Like, I think he'd be really good at it. I was like, no, I'm going to roll my dice with the heptathlon and stay warm. But I will cheer you on. And yeah, Evan and I just had very um, similar events happen in life. Like um, my mom passed away. His mom passed away. We're both in the middle of our kind of athletic careers of like, do we continue? Do we retire? What are we doing? Um, and so I just have a lot of respect for him as a, a person and, and I definitely, um, listen to what he says because he's just a phenomenal human with a great heart. Um, so we panned to 2017 and I'm like upset and pissed about not making a team or coming remotely close in track and field. And so there's this TV show thing that like popped up on Instagram. It was this next Olympic hopeful and bobsled was like hosting auditions and so I like immediately got on Instagram and uh wrote Evan and I'm like Evan what is this next Olympic hopeful thing like why does Bobsled think they could just take people off the street and make them Olympians (laughs) he was like yeah yeah I still think you should come do a combine the TV show's a bit extreme but you know like maybe maybe you should just come out and try and do a combine I was like nope so I shut the idea down. It was 2018 at this point, and it was the Winter Olympic year. And so Evan makes a Winter Olympic team, and um, he just convinces me. He's like, you got to come try it. I was like, no. So I didn't make a travel team for track and field after uh, in 2017. And so what happens is like they'll select the top seven heptathletes uh, to go compete in Germany. And originally I was on the team. I was ended up eighth, which sucked. I was like, wow. I'm on the bubble. But then one girl dropped out cause she was getting married. So that bumped me up. So the crazy part about this is my, co- my college coach was the head coach of the U S team for this trip. 
And so they give you like this little piece of paper. It's like prom and it's like, Hey, you've been invited. So I like, thought it was like super dope. Like I trained to eventually like be on the same team that my coach was the head coach of. So I'm like on the table after the heptathlon, he gives me this card. I'm like, heck yeah. Like I'm going to Germany with my college coach. Like we're going to rip it up. This is going to be great. Then the girl comes back and she's going. So he literally has to like take my invite. And it was the saddest day of my life. (laughs) I was like, this is the worst. Like I'm not invited anymore. So, uh, yeah, that sucked. And he was like, I'm sorry. And it crushed me. Cause like, I, I think it's just because like, he's like a dad to me. So it was just really, it sucked. And I was like, I hate track. This is stupid. And Evan like knew I was going to be in a place. And so he wrote me and he was like, look, like seriously, come do a combine. Like, I know that. I know that's Olympic year. Like, I think you should just do a combine. So I was like, fine, I'll do the combine. He was like, great. Cause I already gave your information to the track coach and, or to the bobsled coach. He's going to be giving you a call. And I was like, okay, here we go. So Evan reached out to coach Dion and gave him my information. And it was probably end of July had a conversation with Dion and I was like, all right, well, I'm going to try to find a combine to do in Ohio because that's where I was living at the time and training. And I will just kind of see what happens from there. Pan back phone rings. I'm like, what the heck is Kevin Reed, my college coach calling me for. So we're like probably three, two weeks out of the heptathlon in Germany. And at this point I've like, I've been training as a bobsled athlete and Kev's like, hey, and I was like, hey, what's up? He's like, I just wanted to call and check to see how things were going and, you know, see if you're going to be ready to have your suitcases packed for Germany. And I'm like, what? Come on. And he's like, yeah, I know. Like, you're, you're going to Germany. We, we, we want you on the team. So I'm like, F-bomb. I've been training as a bobsled athlete. I've done nothing for the heptathlon. Like, this is going to be interesting. So I literally <laughs> was training for two different sports at the same time. Flew to Germany, had like PRs and hydro jab. Like it was just a legit competition. It was fun. It was awesome. Um, it was one of the most memorable times of my life competing. Um, and a week later, I was in Lake Placid, New York at push championships for bobsled. So that's how my bobsled career started. <laughs> Dude, you're just a baller. <laughs> I was going to say, most people can't even get to that level, but you're like, oh, I'm just going to compete here and then here and still fine. Yeah. And it was cool. Like I wanted to see what bobsled was like in an Olympic year because I knew like, I'm very realistic. There was absolutely no way that I was just going to like walk onto the scene and make an Olympic year in a sport that I knew nothing about. But I was like, you know, like this might be something that is definitely developed for like just who I am. Um, how my body is built now, like just like the strength levels, like it played to just who I was as an athlete extremely well. Um, not that the heptathlon didn't, but it's a very different weight swing for me. I could be 138 pounds as a heptathlete. And right now I'm sitting at like 165 as a bobsled athlete. So there's just a lot of just weight difference, um, that, yeah, we, definitely talk about that whole like body image (laughs) later but it was very different um and so yeah it was just crazy like I I think I just finally learned to just accept my body and everything for what it was and 
you know, it was built to be a bobsled athlete. And I'm not going to lie and say that I just like caught on quick. Um, I was pretty bad at it. And I was like, Evan, you brought me here. He was like, trust me, it's patience. Like you're, he was like, you were going to be fine. And yeah, the first year was rough. The first year and a half was like even more rough. And so now we're entering into this second and like almost three, two and a half year point. And like now it's starting to click. And so I'm super excited um, training for 2022 and to, to really see what happens um, and just trust the process of it. Are you still like, have you given up the heptathlete and side of things then? I tell people I like officially unofficially retired. Yeah. <laughs> knowing me, I could just like hop and do a hep next year, but I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll kind of figure all that out. Um, yeah. My main goal is to kind of get through the end of October, um, mid November when the national team for bobsled is selected and, you know, hopes to, to make that national team and compete on tour and, you know, have all my bobsled boxes checked off for the year and see what happens with the head from there. Oh, that's so cool. I'm so excited for you. So <laughs> honestly though, it's like your agility and your ability to just like bounce and like flow with life. I don't, when I was in high school, I was like, I was a really, really good dancer. And you know, a lot of people don't know that about me now, but um, we lived in the Chicago area and I was dancing with professional companies and my parents wanted to move or my dad was going to get a job in Appleton, Wisconsin. And I can't even believe this looking back on it now, but <clears throat> we went up there I toured some dance studios and they just didn't speak to the quality and the level that I wanted to be at. And I bawled my eyes out and was like, I can't, I can't, like, I can't, you can't take me away from this. I was a varsity on the varsity dance team at like all of these things. And so they didn't move. And like, that always is so wild to me that they didn't move. And I did not ultimately end up becoming a professional dancer or anything like that. Um, by choice because I had no life until I decided to go to college and just drink a ton. <clears throat> and it's just so interesting to think that there were, it wasn't that I like that we all had to move to Appleton or, you know, we stayed in Chicago. Like it could have been that I stayed in Chicago with friends and continued on a path and I didn't do that. And so for you at such a young age to, to have your priorities so clear for yourself and then to be able to just like bob and weave through it is very impressive. I acknowledge you. Thank you. That yeah. means a lot. And I tell people, and it, a lot of it might coin my mentality now, like failure wasn't an option for me. Mm. So like I didn't have, like I couldn't just go home. Like I didn't really have a home to go home to like my parents I didn't live with my parents in high school so like I not going to college was not an option right and not having a job in college and making sure that I was successful as successful as I could be in track and field like none of that was an option for me um and it was kind of hard like I I I joke about it but like in reality it's, it's a rough I guess, topic for me is like, I didn't have time to kind of just be a kid. 
And so um, that's probably why I freaking am in a different country every other week now and why I just do all the things that I do now and like why I'm so into like building community and helping people. Um, I had to be so focused on myself for so long. Um, and it's not that my parents weren't like present or like I didn't have friends or things like that. I'm not saying that at all, but like I didn't have an, I, and I still don't like, I don't, I don't have an option to just like, Oh, well, my life's not working. I, I can just like move home. Like it's just not an option for me. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. They always say like you end up creating the thing that you need and like that mm. almost becomes your purpose in some capacity. And like you, I mean, I love too, that you were so open to listening to these people that were dropping these bombs of wisdom on you. Like, you know, pay attention to your team and the people that are around you and pay attention and make sure that they know you enough that when you show up on your bad days, they know what to do with it. And they're not going to like shove you down for it. They're going to lift you up, you know, in the way that works for you. And you being able to experience that means that you now know how to like, okay, how do I recreate that or not recreate it, but how do I create space for other people to experience that in their own ways? Because it is important. And how do you, <clears throat> you know, a lot of us are lucky enough to be born with, you know, our full family there with mostly healthy. I mean, I would even say, say myself, like a healthy family, even though I had cancer, like we were really lucky. I was really lucky. And, um, you know, a lot of people don't have that ability to be able to have their full family there all in one place. And your ability to recognize that that can be created in other ways, it doesn't have to be just that form of what you're born into is really, really important for a lot of people. Because even, even now it's like, I'm in the middle of Dallas. There's nobody that is like family for yeah. miles, for miles. I mean, when I moved to Canada, it was the same thing. I didn't know anybody. And people were like, what are you, what are you going to do? Like you just <laughs> shaved your head and you moved to another country. Like literally who's going to be friends with you. I was like, okay, all right. <laughs> like, you know, but you do, you figure it out and you start saying yes. And you find your people and you find you're not people. And like, I don't know, I'm on a, I'm kind of going down a rabbit hole, but it's really cool to see you harnessing each of the experiences to create something that honestly, a lot of us actually want and don't really realize that we can create it for ourselves if we want. So, yeah. yeah no, that's so powerful. And it's crazy that you even say what you just said, because I mean, that's, that's how I ended up in Dallas. Like I had six months before the Olympic trials. I didn't have a standard to compete. I switched coaches. I switched training partners. I packed my Jeep, drove 22 hours, didn't have a job, didn't know where I was going to stay. Like, huh. I literally got in my car and was like, all right, Dallas is what it is. And <laughs> it was all because at the end of my career athletically, I wanted to say that I did everything possible to give myself my best chance. And if that's packing my life and moving across the country, if I make a team, awesome. I can sleep and rest my head at night. If I don't make a team, awesome. I can sleep and rest my head at night because I was a determining factor of it. Um, it wasn't coaches. It wasn't people. It wasn't training partners. It wasn't situations. Like I had a sports psychologist and before I left, he told me, he was like the decisions that you make for the rest of your life, like make sure that you you're building Tiffany incorporated. 
And Mm -hmm. the older I get, the more I realize like how much of a gem that was like Paul's just a phenomenal sports psychologist. And I I ask myself questions like relationships that I build conversations that I go into and not in like a self, well, kind of a selfish way because you have to have that balance of being selfless, selfless and selfish. Um, it's something that I definitely quarrel a lot with, uh, being an athlete and, and really wanting to just give back to people, but you have to learn to build Tiffany incorporated. And so that's how I ended up in Dallas, which allowed me and showed me that like, you know, I, I had to be a little bit vulnerable in order for me to make this work and to, to make it work at its best. And, you know, I ended up making it to the Olympic trials and qualifying for USA's. And, um, you know, there were some nights of like tears and people thought that was freaking crazy. Like, you don't even know this coach. You don't even know this girl. And I'm like, I'm doing it. This is what we're rolling with. So I definitely can resonate with you about like, you know, shaving your head and just moving to another country. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and on the flip side too, it's like coming back from Canada. So I had, I mean, similar to how you with athletics, I think I became that in just like my job. I was like, okay, what's the next, what's the next rung on the ladder? I'm doing it. Like, it was not a question. It was just like, that's what I was doing. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm getting hired by a big company to lead their brand division up in, like, it's just, I was like, holy shit. I can't, I I had just shaved my head. I was like, there's no way that anyone's going to take me seriously doing that. And like, they were, And I'm up there and I'm doing the thing. And then on the flip, it's like, what I just heard you say was, I want to have done everything I can for me and what I want for my life. And at a certain point, I started to recognize that climbing that ladder towards CMO or whatever was going to happen next wasn't actually what I wanted at that point. And what I wanted was a, a partner like I wanted a best friend. I wanted a, a relationship. And I had one that was across the country. And for the first time ever, I didn't want my job to come before them. And so I quit. I quit my trajectory and I drove to Wisconsin <clears throat> with nothing, with what I could fit in my car without a job. And everybody was like, what the hell are you doing? And <laughs> again, and like, I love that invitation of like really being able to get clear with yourself of like, what do you truly want for yourself? <clears throat> and it doesn't mean you have to be, you know, I think it's really easy for us to just say like, you know, these big, like, I want to be a superstar. Or I want to be a whatever, but it's like, whatever it is that you want, make that superstar status for yourself and make it so important that you're willing to have done everything for yourself to get that. And that's what my move to to Wisconsin almost felt like that, but in a really different way. Not because on paper I was gonna be able to toot toot, look, I'm a CMO, <laughs> but because I myself could go, I'm choosing to go to Milwaukee for me, even if this doesn't work out, because I wanna know that the type of person I am is somebody who can put this person who's meant the world to me in a very short amount of time make them more important than a job. I want to know that I can be that person. And if I can't, I want to know I at least tried. And that changed the trajectory the trajectory of my life um, in probably just as powerful of a way, even though to the outside world, it's not like on paper, I became anything more than anything. But for me, I did because I got clear on what I wanted and I did everything I could to do it 
if that makes any sense. So yeah, I love that I invitation. And I mean, I, I feel like, and please stop me if I'm like rambling, but I, I feel like definitely for me, um, why I'm so passionate about how I even got into Lulu and why, um, the thing that I tell myself, regardless of if I end up a Lulu, I'm in ambassador at some high level or whatever that looks like. Um, everyone deserves a chance to have an option or a choice to just make something of themselves and to do something. And that doesn't necessarily mean that every person is going to take that opportunity or that chance when it happens. But I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said we end up being or doing what we feel like we missed out on or what we were missing in our life. And for me, it's creating that space and allowing people, I might not have the, the answer to make your dreams happen, but I for damn sure probably know someone that can make your dreams happen. Um, and so that's what's important to me and, and why I do what I do, because, you know, everyone deserves to have an option or a choice to become something regardless of what their economic background is, what their, their status of, I'm the best athlete in the world or like, Hey, I kind of suck, but I can work really hard at this. Um, everyone, everyone deserves that chance. Yeah. Wayne Gretzky, man. That's why he's my, like, I love that guy. (laughs) (laughs) Cause he like took his like seemingly insignificant, you know, strength and made it something huge. Like, I love that. And we all have that. Um, we all have that in us. So I'm curious about, like what it means to you to be a strong and powerful female today. Ooh, deep question. What it means, I'm going to give you guys like a very authentic, open, real answer to this. Um, yes. Because I feel like it is important. And a lot, I feel like as athletes, um, especially when people don't know us, the only thing they can really see is like our Instagram or our Facebook or whatever that looks like social media wise. Um, they don't, if they don't know who you are, they see this like intimidating person that can take over the world. And a lot of times, like that's a true statement, but there's a flip side to that. Um, for me, being a strong female is just, is it's like I said before, allowing women the opportunity to just show up and be their best selves and I don't feel like a lot of women especially in sports are allowed to do that um and it's it's really sad one thing that I wanted to do in college was I wanted to start a nonprofit for inner city women and especially like moms and help them with health and wellness programs and fitness and like help kids and I think a lot of that stemmed from just the power that women and as a whole when they collectively come together can have and for me being strong comes in a physical state where people are like oh she literally like looks strong but it's not just about like my physical appearance it's not the fact that I'm an athlete like I'm not gonna be an athlete for the rest of my life but I I I aspire to be like one of the strongest women to grace the face of the planet and that comes with really just my vulnerability of saying like you know I'm not perfect but like I want to help and I want to I want to be that person that believes in you when you don't believe in yourself. And so to me, like, that's what being a strong woman is. It's, it's building up everyone, not just women, but everyone that you come across, anyone that you um, kind of just like 
find along the way of the journey of whatever your life looks like. Um, bobsled is a very male dominant sport and it's just crazy to me that like learning about the U.S. women's team and the history that they have ever since U.S. women's bobsled has been an Olympic sport. They've medaled at almost every single games except for one. And it's literally the only sport in history that has been able to do that. Um, so there definitely is a legacy on, on the women's side. And I feel like I, I have an obligation as I'm just trying to pursue going into 2022 and whatever that may look like beyond um, to really just, you know, hold myself high in that, that legacy and to do something with it. Um, and, you know, being a strong female is not being afraid to just be real and to get into to conversations that may not be the most pleasant or nice, but, you know, make an impact on the world. Um, and to really just serve and help people. Um, I feel like that's just my calling and my personality type. And, um, I, I truly love that. I, yeah, I just, I don't know. Like I'm very, very fortunate where, you know, I am an African-American female that I swear to you, I've been in school longer than any human on the face of the planet. I graduated at 21 with a master's degree and I'm 31 and I'm still in school. So it's just, I feel like I've been in school almost like my whole life (laughs) (laughs) and it's just my ability to just like want to learn. Um, but also like my high school coach told me like your education is the one thing that no one can take from you. And it doesn't matter what you're educating yourself in, whether it's, Hey, I want to be the best mom that I can be. Or like, I want to be the CEO of whatever company, like my dream and goal was I wanted to work for the most inspirational person on the face of the planet. And it was Barbie. And I, after college was like, I'm going to apply to Mattel. Like she's an awesome woman. She rules the world. I like pink Corvettes. Like I'm into this, like I'm totally <laughs> into this whole like girl movement thing. Cause I was such a tomboy and, um, you know, life just happened. And I sent in my application, had an, a call back for the, for an interview for Mattel and I didn't go like I just had life happen my mom passed away and it's gonna sound really creepy but she was wrote me this letter and it was like don't stop running until God completely takes it away from you so here we go with another life decision and it was like well this is a heavy one and I chose to continue running and you know uh, sometimes life has a funny way of defining words and running wasn't necessarily in a summer sport maybe it's in a winter sport and um yeah that's that's kind of to bring it back to being a strong female um yeah like by physical appearance I am strong but I want people to know me as more than just an athlete because it's only a piece of of who I am um so yeah do you find do you have like a um Idol is such a strong word, but like, do you think somebody embodies female strength really well right now as an athlete for you? Oh my gosh. Absolutely. So who who is it for you? Our USA, our USA one driver on the women's side, um, Alana Myers Taylor is just like, she's like the Michelle Obama of bobsled to me. Um, and she just like she heads um the women's sports foundation like she's just like an advocate for women in sport and it's she's just a good human and like it's just so crazy i'm like i get i get nervous talking to her (laughs) 
because she's just <laughs> such a good person doing like such amazing things in the world. And I'm like, dude, I want to be like a fraction as cool as you when I grow up. And, um, she just like, she's just awesome. Like just awesome. And she's so humble. And to me, like that is the definition of a strong female, someone that is not afraid to stand up and go against the grain. Someone that's not afraid to be vulnerable. Someone that can really like, not just say that things are going to happen, but like be a force to make things happen. And, um, yeah, like I really, I really look up to her as a person and human because like, she's just, she's just amazing. Yeah. How do you think that that differs from the way, and I'm kind of like posing a, I can't think of what type of question it is, but it's like, I have my own thoughts too, but how is the definition that you have just described of like a strong female as somebody who, yeah, can have like the physicality of it if, you know, in the athletic world, but also it's really being vulnerable and having a strength of character to show up and say what you what you believe in your heart and to be a stand for that for yourself and for others in a really humble and I heard loving way. Um, how is that different, do you feel, from like the way society portrays female strength? <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, yeah. That's such, that's a good question. Um, I feel like, I mean, women are portrayed to kind of just be like soft and I'm not saying that's like a good or a bad thing. Like I definitely have had like extreme cases in my life where I was just like, I want to be at this point in my life, a CEO doing something, working for Barbie. And I've also been like, okay, well eventually like I want to be in a relationship and like, you know, actually like someone and like get to know someone. And so there's just like a piece of just like it, accepting the human for the human that I feel like people miss out on. And we don't, society doesn't need to like coin these ideas, even though they have that like a woman has to be like a stay at home mom and kind of have like, you know, kids and just do that. Like, that's great. That's an aspect of life, but that's not like what just a woman is. And I tell like my coaching clients all the time, you know, everyone whether you're an athlete, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you're a college student trying to figure your life out, like there's a podium that you can stand on. So for me as an athlete, I walk into an arena, I compete after that competition, you have a first, second, third place. And I may be standing on the first place podium and you'll see like the strength, you see me probably crying, like you see the physical aspect of what I have just accomplished. But a podium is like a staircase and there's always a basement to a staircase. And so in that staircase, if I walk off of that podium, you have like the hurt, you have the loneliness, you have the travel, you have the fear, you have the pain, you have the like the, so many different other words that describe what I had to go through in order for me to open that door and walk up that staircase. And that staircase is is everyone's life. So if, if you're a mom and you struggled with like not or you want to be a mom or aspire to be something and, and you struggle with like maybe not being able to have kids. And then you finally reach that like pinnacle of 